It's Friday, February 24th, and this is Travelogue, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am your substitute host today, Laura Redman, the Deputy Digital Director. I'm stepping in for Brad Rickman, who is on a family trip to Cuba. We're jealous. And we are here with Barbara Peterson. I love to call you our senior aviation correspondent. It's a more formal title. <laughs> Thank um, you. Catherine Legrave and Meredith Carey, our senior editor and assistant editor on the digital team. We've got an all-lady group today. We're going to have a good conversation Woo-hoo. about budget travel. Okay, just to start, budget travel to me means Ryanair. It means EasyJet. It means cheapo flights. But that's a really limited term at the, or limiting term at this point. Yeah. Right. I think that there are so many airlines that are kind of redefining what it means to be a budget airline and it doesn't even have to be like an actual airline like the US mm-hmm. airlines are doing basic economy which we'll talk about later but I think when you think about budget airlines now you have to think about Norwegian AirAsia X is that what it's called mm-hmm. yep and a few other players that are going farther for less money it's not just like a hop across the pond yeah. for $20 on Ryanair. Yeah, I mean, and kind of what you mentioned, it's not only budget airlines, it's that these bigger brands, Lufthansa, Air France, are uh, are getting into the game as well. And Barbara, I know that you wrote a story about Lufthansa's foray into this, or sort of they're boosting their presence across the Atlantic. Yes, and this is something that they attempted to do for a while, and I think they're kind of a a good case of how hard it is for these legacy airlines, you know, these big international lines that all started out as flag airlines of the respective countries, to try to, you know, be all things to all people. And, you know, they're never going to be a Ryanair. They're never going to be a Spirit because their costs are simply too high. And that's because they are doing something that's very expensive to deliver. They have three, or in some cases, four classes on a single airplane. So they also have employees who are used to getting higher wages. And the success of all these budget airlines really depends on that that mantra of the lowest possible costs. And they have all ways to slice it and dice it, you know, per available seat mile, whatever, revenue, you know. But at the end of the day, it comes down to that. Can they do that and make money? Ryanair is a huge success, but if anybody's here has ever flown them, I think you'd have to agree, you know, it's, it's more like a Greyhound bus, you know. And, right. and um and why, and why are we, t- I mean, we are Condé Nast travelers, so we, we tend to talk about kind of the, the best in the world, the finer things in life. Why are we focusing on budget? Does it mean that budget is now becoming good value? You know, is it something different that these airlines are doing, that Norwegian's doing, to make it a more enjoyable experience for whatever that, like, low, low prices of 69 what was it? Sixty nine dollars for a mm-hmm. one way ticket? Yeah, across the, the, the te- I think we'd call that the teaser. Yeah, the teaser, well, right? Because then you yeah. you look at the you do the math, right? As I like to say, and crunch the numbers, yeah. and it's not actually six. It is sixty nine dollars if you do not eat, if you don't pre select your seat, if you don't take a bag, all of these things. It's sixty nine dollars. From where to where? Like from JFK to Paris? Can I go for sixty nine dollars? I mean, Wow Air has had flight deals for 69 for 99 from the U.S. You know, to Iceland, and I know Norwegians talking about kicking off their summer 
routes from Connecticut or where is it? Stewart Airport. Stewart Airport, which right. is uh, a lot of people have never heard of it. I've been there actually. I've I've flown out of there, and it's it used to be an Air Force base, and it's near West Point. So that's one one thing you need to know about. It has some of the longest runways in the country because you know these huge planes, military planes, could land there. So it's actually a great underserved airport. But the problem is there's no public transportation there from New York, which is their intended market. However, I think that it's going to be one of these things. If you build it, they will come. I mean, we'll see. But it's going to be a very interesting experiment. The point is, is that it's cheaper for an airline like Norwegian to fly there than it is to JFK, and they have more available landing slots. So they're going to take delivery of 10 of these new 737s. So here's another thing to realize when you fly these transatlantic flights on some of these super dirt cheap fares. When you get on the plane, you're going to think, uh-oh, I'm on the wrong plane, because a plane, little plane like this doesn't fly across the ocean. Well, guess what? The planes that we're used to flying in domestic routes are going to be flying on some of these routes. The, the key is really these advanced aircraft that both Boeing and Airbus are making. They're single aisle, and they can be packed with 200 seats. 200 seats instead of, say, 130. 40 or 150, which is the norm. You, know, you can't see my face right now. I'm terrified. That <laughs> sounds like the worst thing ever. And as the shortest person in the room, you I should know. be the least terrified. So what is that experience? I mean, what do you get then? Like, Are you really just getting uh, accessibility, you know, uh, a cheap ticket to kind of go to more places around the world? And that's great. You know, we, we want to encourage people to see more of the world, and that's allowing travelers to do that. But Yeah, I think sort of the first answer to your question, like, why are we talking about this? is the direction that the air travel industry has gone, right? Segmentation, the appearance of personalization. If I don't want a meal, I should be able to choose that. If I want three meals, hey, I should be able to choose that too. And so it's more options and people like more options, right? It feels like more options. It feels like more options. It is a way for airlines oftentimes to raise prices without appearing like they're raising prices, right? If I cut this a few ways, it's not going to appear like I'm raising the price. But the average price, for example, of a basic economy fare, for example, is going to be $20 cheaper, but a bag fee is still going to be $25. So actually, I'm paying $5 more, which is an incremental cost, but you multiply that by 20 people, and that adds up. Interesting. Okay. So the basic economy fares, we will talk about this a little later, but the idea that they're not letting you bring your bag and put it in carry-on, right? Like, it's so bottom line at right. this point. But I mean, it, it's not just bags, it's seat selection, right? And it's not just basic economy. This is on Wow Air, this is on Ryanair, this is on German Wings, you know, these budget carriers in Europe. It's also on Air Asia. It's choosing what you want, it's also on Norwegian. And it's a way for them to sort of split the price and pick up small costs if they can. And, you know, some travelers that aren't going to choose that, so that's their choice. But it comes down to, like Meredith said, appearing like you have more choice. Right. That's an interesting point. I mean, is there an airline that you, any of you, would fly, budget airline, that you would choose over a, you know, over an Etihad, over a Singapore Airlines, because the price is just that good? Do you think the experience will be worthwhile enough that you're like, okay, 
I'm going to give it a shot. Definitely. I, I would say a lot of these airlines sort of owe their existence to Southwest. That was the mother of all budget airlines. And that's where the phrase really got started. And they still are doing things differently. And frankly, I love Southwest. I fly them whenever I can. So it's I'm like, originally from Dallas, and I am like jumping up and down right now because I'm usually <laughs> the only person in the office who really loves Southwest because I grew up having that be the basically the one airline that I flew because when I flew down to see family in Houston or around the south that was what we flew because it was cheap and people were nice and that still rings true when I fly home from New York I fly on Southwest because I know that yes I won't be able to have my seat in advance but if you pay the extra $15 for early bird check-in you're gonna be in the first group I can get an aisle seat every single time now that some of the fun facts, if you haven't flown Southwest, there's a lot of debate about it, but you don't get a seat assignment ever. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That Even is if correct. you're in a boarding group, you, it's still kind of like run for it. It's definitely not run for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little biased. Yeah. Um, but no. no, you're right. They are, though, charge. You see, this is the interesting thing. Southwest doesn't charge a lot of fees for things like bags, but they've managed to very cleverly position themselves. Okay, you, yeah, you can pay the $15. You can. That means, you know, as Meredith said, you will definitely get an aisle seat, and that's really what we really want. want. So, right. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, it sort of effectively is, you know, getting you, you know, what you want. But they don't serve food and. They they have Wi-Fi though, and and it's good. I mean, so and there's no usually there's no seatback entertainment, but at this point there are legacy airlines like United and Alaska and American who don't have seatback entertainment because they know you're going to already have your phone or iPad anyway. So in my mind, domestically, that makes sense. That's enjoyable. I can bring my own food. But the key there with Southwest that's different from the other ones is you don't pay extra for bags. When you're flying on Norwegian or Wow Air, you're paying an extra, you know, $30, $40. On average, yeah, 25 to 30, I think. Does it ever feel like an insult? Do any of the fees ever feel like an insult? Or are you just kind of okay with whatever they throw at you? Like you're willing to pay a la carte? I think it's hard for me. And one of the reasons why I haven't actually flown international on one of these budget airlines is because when I look at the unbundling costs Mm -hmm. so I like do the math it really isn't any cheaper and that's like upsetting to me I'm like well then why did I spend all this time looking at these $69 flights when they're not actually costing me even close to $69 what do you think they tally at is it something closer to 200 or 300 or I think it depends Depends. but I think where you're going and it depends on how many options you choose Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you choose all the options, you're probably paying about $100 more than you thought you were going to. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you, you say that you add a bag each way. That's going to cost you $60, depending on whether or not you choose to check it in online or decide at the airport, hey, actually, I need a bag because I bought too many pretzels as a souvenir <laughs> and I can't fit them all in my bag. Um, Personal experience? <laughs> you, you do go to Germany I a lot. I to have that on hand. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just for the bag alone. You know, seat selection, like we said, you don't want to get stuck in a middle seat. So hey, I'll pay $15 to choose my seat. And then before you know it, you're over $100. And I feel like I could fly in a middle seat on a domestic flight. Yeah. It's not going to be that long. But flying on an international flight as a 5'9 person 
in the middle seat. Just You're what we call I'm like, tall. I'm just like sitting, thinking about it, and like cringing. I have. I mean, to answer your question, would I choose a budget airline over a legacy carrier? I would probably say not. I've flown Norwegian. I think several of us at this table have, and I. It was a beautiful plane. I flew it to Copenhagen from New York, and I was satisfied with some parts of the experience. Um, one thing that I don't think budget airlines do well is be consistent across the board in terms of baggage policies. You know, bags are, are one of their big money makers. And so they'll say, if the bag doesn't fit in this, then, you know, we're going to charge you $45 because you didn't check it in the first place. And they're not consistent with that. And something like that bothers me. Whereas I know that if I fly a legacy carrier and I have a free bag, that's not a problem, or I have two carry-ons or whatever. They're not out to sort of make money in that respect. And I think Norwegian kind of toes the line, right? Yeah. Because the planes, like you said, are gorgeous. They're new dreamliners for a lot of these transatlantic flights. And Barbara, you mm -hmm. just flew a Norwegian line down to Martinique in yes, Guadeloupe. Martinique, yes. Which is an interesting thing because, yes, I would definitely choose to fly them over like another airline, say down to the Caribbean, because those flights are pretty nondescript. And they had great planes, they were new, they weren't Dreamliners, of course, they were smaller, but they were really nice, the, I thought the service was excellent. And here's the thing, they're flying on a route that no one else has touched, you know. They saw a niche there, which is because they're a European airline, and those islands are French, they're considered part of France. They are actually allowed under the European Open Skies Treaty with the United States to fly there from the U.S. So it was great to fly nonstop. I didn't have to change planes in Miami or San Juan or the usual thing. And, and you know, so the fares were good. Probably, you know, you could probably get another good decent fare to some other place in the Caribbean, but I wanted to go there, and this was the only way to go, and so that was a very good experience. I think they do it well. I think they really have carved out a niche, but, you know, what I think we're touching on here is it's partly that we have to sort of all get used to this new world because the big airlines are getting into it now, too, and, and pretty soon it's just going to be, I mean, it is. it can be very maddening and very confusing. And ultimately, I don't know how, you know, we can ultimately figure out what's the better deal. I think to Europe, what I found is that depending on what route you're flying on, it can be either a great deal or maybe not that much different than, say, an Air France or BA. But it really depends on the market. When I flew to Berlin last year, the fares in just a regular economy fare on, you know, the brand name airlines were all like 1500 round trip. I mean, it was you know, couldn't get anything less than that. Which is astonishing. I mean, that's yeah. when you started seeing flights that are four hundred, five hundred, six hundred dollars, even in the summer in mm -hmm. the pa in the past six months. You know. Yeah. So I, instead, I flew Norwegian and changed planes in Oslo, and it was five hundred. So I mean, it was. So that's really where they've got their edge. But I do see that now with the the big airlines, and that's why you see, you know, when Catherine mentioned the. Um, Lufthansa, you know, getting into this, their Eurowings division, which is their sort of budget clone, is starting to fly nonstop to some U.S. markets, but not the ones where it's going to cannibalize their mainstream business. You know, so you're not going to see them flying to JFK. They're flying to Las Vegas or Orlando, Seattle. And so I think that those big airlines have to be very careful as they try to move into this territory. You know, they're flailing around trying to figure out where they fit in with this. And um, I don't know if they're going to succeed. They've tried in the past, and it's been a bust. You know, So we'll see. This year seems to be the year of the budget 
long distance airlines. So it really yeah. does. I mean, we're not even just talking about transatlantic now. We're talking about transpacific budget flights. Mm-hmm. That's like a anywhere from a twelve to an eighteen hour budget flight. Air Asia, which is a Malaysian-based carrier, just announced that it's launching its first Asia to U.S. flight, which is the first budget carrier to be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Air Asia was. I think, Barbara, you wrote a couple pieces about this, too, mm-hmm. but it was one of the trendsetters in Asia for that kind of travel. It started in late 90s, maybe? Yes, and they've become a big franchise over there. They're frequently compared to Virgin because there's so many different offshoots of them. But, yes, they've done very well. They're a big success. Um, they but, look a little bit yeah. like Virgin, too. It's, yeah. And so does Norwegian. They all have this very, <laughs> like, red, cheeky, you know, tone, and then they have, like, purple lighting. Some of them, I don't know. It's It all feels like it's a play at Virgin, but... Maybe not. I mean, do you think that Virgin set a standard that they're all trying to meet? Or yes, well, I think I think Virgin just you know they carved out this word the hippest you know thing on the block you know said who they wouldn't made want flying cool again? Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah, and the and JetBlue too. You know, it was all that vibe. I mean, you know, there were a couple of startups in India actually that uh, like Kingfisher, which uh, went out of business, but for the time they were in business, they were calling themselves the JetBlue of India. And in fact, they hired their first CEO was an ex-JetBlue executive. And, you know, so all this stuff that we like, you know, the high technology, you know, the, 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 the TVs and, you know, it's enough to make you sort of forget that you're really sitting in a tiny seat. <laughs> Maybe the legroom isn't the greatest in the world. You know, you're getting a good deal, but, you know, you have to pay extra for things. So I think that's the way to sort of mitigate some of this. You know, they just give you enough to make it less, uh, well, well, less painful, I guess is one way to put it. So would you, I mean, would you guys consider, a, say, it's a $120 flight to Osaka and from there, you can go on to Malaysia, and then from there, you can go on to any number of points in Southeast Asia. Would you take that flight if you knew it was going to be, you know, it could be a 24-hour day of travel on a nice airplane? Air Asia always had really great planes. You know, also like Norwegian, they were kind of newer seats, maybe leather. They had, if they had food, it was fine. You know, it's always fine. I think that if it actually costs that much money, then yes. I mean, I think sometimes. When you're flying, you want the journey to be as enjoyable as the destination. But if you really are, you know, strapped for cash or Mm -hmm. dying to go somewhere, then like you're going to really put up with just about anything to get there. Yeah. I think it would depend on how much time I had. Right. right? If I'm going for five days and I'm going to spend a day and a half traveling each way. Each way. Yeah. Wait, well, I don't no, have get, any time there. It's two days to get there and then no days to get back, right? Because the time oh, zone right, changes yeah. such that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 would be, that would be my answer. It's a big thing. Depends on how much time I have. So going back for a second to the Eurowings and Lufthansa conversation, are these subsidiaries of the big airlines, are they as nice as the flag carrier? Because Lufthansa is fantastic, right? They have beautiful airlines. They run great routes. Customer service is awesome. Are you getting the same experience or should you kind of measure your expectations a little? Oh, I think it is a different experience. And I think they have to make it a different experience in a sense, because, again, they have to be really worried about, you know, is this going to start taking away from their basic economy? You know, and I mean, they're, you know, they don't call it basic economy, but the mainstream economy, I guess. And, and, you know, so, yeah, they have to make it more like, I guess, what used to be the charter 
segment where you really get minimal services. And they do have, you know, if you go on the Your Wings website to see what their prices are like, it's sort of like Norwegian and Spirit in here or anything. It's, it's you know, it's all unbundled, you know, it's sort of a different sort of packages, you know, that you can up your game with. And that's the other thing that I guess we haven't really touched on yet is that the way the airlines do it now, it's, of course, really even more confusing until you get used to it, is that, yes, they say they're going to break it all out and you have to pay this for your bag and this for your food, but then they'll try to package it together and say, well, if you buy this bundle and we're going to bundle up some things we think you might like, then it'll be you'll be better off than if you just go to the airport and try to like do it all a cart or try to do it separately. So I think our heads are sort of spinning after a while with all of the various choices, and that's, that's another thing that's frustrating. That's my main gripe is I... Admittedly, I, I don't really feel like playing the game. I know I'm the naysayer in this group. I, I haven't enjoyed my experiences on some of these airlines. And I think at the end of the day, it's because of customer service and because I feel like I have to play a certain kind of game in order to win at my vacation. And I just want to go on vacation, man. I don't want to have to like read page four of the fine print doc that they send me telling me that, oh, by the way, if you want to eat on this flight, you have to book in advance. You have to go on the website. And if you book your flight through a third-party provider like Kayak or Cheap Flights or Momondo, you may not even see that you have options because a lot of, a lot of times you have to go to the actual website of mm-hmm. that airline to mm-hmm. do that or to even know that you have to do that. You know, I flew Norwegian and had no idea about their food service protocol and if it's your first time on it, just be warned, you should buy a meal in advance, all right? Everyone, just get a hot meal because you're not going to get to eat for like three or four hours on a long haul flight otherwise until they open up their little a la carte market and you get your like lousy, you know, vegan wrap in plastic that you could have bought at the airport before you even <laughs> left. So that's my screed. But do you guys feel like enough people are willing to play the game that the game itself is going to change long term, that all these airlines are going to unbundle that we should just expect to be playing and paying a la carte going forward. I think we're at a stage now where half of the air journeys in Western Europe in the US, I read this, are on budget carriers. So in order to compete with these budget carriers, they're making this pricing model more familiar. They're doing what we talked about, they're unbundling, and they're also repackaging it as sort of these branded packages, which are essentially just like economy class, right? You can have a bag, you can have a seat selection. It's the sort of same tiers, but it pays to do the math. And I think absolutely we're only going to see more and more of this as budget carriers continue to grow in the U.S. and also as these legacy carriers want to retain the customers they have, but also introduce another fair class to be competitive. Because, you know, that's sort of an old joke getting back to Southwest. When Southwest does something, everybody else is going to do it. So, you know, we saw this with the big three carriers in the U.S. in terms of basic economy. I don't know if we want to talk about that yet. Yeah, let's but that's, let's crack open the basic economy Pandora my, box. That was my <laughs> answer. We can talk about what everybody, I mean, what everybody else thinks. If this is going to be the future, I, I certainly think it's only going to be like this more in the future. I think that we've opened a door that we cannot close in the U.S. What do you think, BP? Absolutely. Yeah, there was a time, you know, the first generation of budget airlines across the Atlantic. I mean, this this goes right back. Laker Skytrain. Does anybody, does that name ring the Freddie Laker? (laughs) (laughs) Tweet us. 
Yes, if yes. you know this. Well, yes. we should all, if we had a drink here, we should raise a glass to Sir Freddie Laker, who was just the, he was the ultimate Freddy. pioneer. He took on the establishment. This is many, many years ago. And, and, and you know, this was when it was a real closed club. And he started something called the Laker Sky Train, which was a real cattle car, but it was $99, I think was their teaser. That's kind of ironic now when you think about it, because $99 was, and then it went up to $199. That was, now we're talking about $69 fares right. on, on Norwegian. We might as well start. been talking about like, $2 flights then, yeah. you know, the yeah. equivalent. The exactly. Yeah. So people have been trying to do this for a long. Now, he went out of business. You know, he he blamed the big airlines for driving him out of business because they undercut him and actually won a famous lawsuit against them. But it was too late to save his company. But the point is, is that this is not a really brand new idea. But what is different now is, and, and I agree that we will never go back to the old model anymore, because these guys are now leaner and meaner. What Freddie Laker was flying with is these aging planes. They were gas guzzlers. So ultimately, you know, the math wasn't going to work. These guys are very cagely getting their big orders in for these aircraft. Again, that are small aircraft. They shove 200 people in them. You know, maybe you'll be on them for five or six hours. But I think most of us can tolerate that, you know, with a few, uh, you know, drinks. to Maybe with a cocktail, yeah. There's still drink service. (laughs) (laughs) And big airlines are now getting scared. They're saying, wait a minute, these are going to be not fly-by-night airlines anymore. They're going to be there for the long run. And so they're going to have to adapt. And they don't want to see a huge part of their discretionary traveler business go out the door. So... Look, if you're a consumer and if you want to fly in some of these routes, this is the time to do it. I think that we're going to see some great competition out there and some great fares. And, um, you know, but again, like what we're talking about, we got to start being better educated. And that's and it's it's a work. It's a drag. Or or can we just, you know, hold them, you know, say like, (laughs) damn the man, I'm not going to pay for your cheap flight just because, you know. You made this deal for us. Like, I want a better experience. Like, isn't it on the consumer to hold the airlines accountable? And the only way we can do that is with our dollars. I think I've made this point like nine times on podcasts. <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone who listens to all of these, but, uh, yeah, but, but I, like with I basic, heard, yeah. I think with basic economy, yeah. what are you actually getting? What kind of experience are you getting? And why are the U.S. airlines doing this? They, some people Spirit call it airlines. misery class. Well, I think to me, yeah. it, this is kind of like the you know, legacy airlines in the U.S. like dipping their toes in the water of this like budget game to see if anyone actually bites. I really think that, yes, it's a door that we can't close. And I think that this is their way of testing to see how they can play the game. And it might suck. Yeah, it might. Does it? I mean, who's actually flying the basic economy line right now? Can you book a flight? on United or I think Americans? You can book a flight on all three of them. So Delta has said that it will launch all of its routes by the end of 2017. I think they're about 40% now. As of yesterday, you can book American and United for service that begins in March. Um, These are only small destinations. They're not going for all of their routes. Um, So I think United starting with seven destinations from Minneapolis, they're gonna go to Chicago, Denver, Houston, LA, Newark, San Francisco, and Washington, Dulles. And American, I think it's Tampa, Dallas, Philly. So is that kind of a commuter flight at that point? Is it a vacation? I mean, who are? I think again, they're, they, 
this is my assumption, so I could be totally wrong, but I really think that they are testing smaller markets to see if anyone is interested, if anyone really, they're, you know, putting them in places where people will be going from place to place, starting in Chicago. I mean, people in Philly have to go somewhere and right. Tampa is a beachy place to go. So why wouldn't you maybe try a smaller market where you're not going to be, as BP said, competing against your like really usual strong fares mm-hmm. where you're going to be making more money. But And the thing about it is that they're not refitting these airlines, right? So basic economy seat is still an economy seat just without the bag and without the selection and without the food. So it's a cheap way for the airline to, like Meredith said, dip its toe in the water and and see what works. They're not having to redo the interior of the plane to give you smaller legroom. I think this is, like I've said before, their way to compete because people do have a certain affinity for a carrier. You know, if you're a US flyer, you probably are either a Delta person or an American person or a United person. And so if they introduce a class- Or a Southwest or person. A Southwest or a JetBlue. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll Alaska, be quiet now. Virgin. All right, all right. <laughs> but the point is that they're, mm-hmm. you know, probably they are gambling that if you have an affinity for them or if you're a loyalty member, you're probably gonna be more comfortable flying them if I always fly Delta and they introduce a fair class that I wanna try and I can save money using the air quotes here that I will mm. try that and be more loyal to them instead of spirit. So this is sort of the price war that's going on. Yeah, the funny part though is that, you know, again, they're, they're sort of, I think, evolving into the sort of the haves and the have-nots within their own networks because they've been heading in this direction for a while. First they started charging for, you know, more legroom seats. Then they started charging even for any decent seat on the plane practically. So they've been sort of heading in that direction. And if you look at the some of the routes where they're really like, you know, pushing this, guess who's flying on those routes? You know, it's Spirit, it's Frontier, you know, so those are the real bare bones, you know, creatures out there. You know, they they don't want them to get any of their market share. And that's always a big thing in the airline business. They just hate to give up any market share. And it may not even make economic sense, ultimately. But the other thing is that the loyalty thing is that's a really interesting area. I think already they've evolved to where the miles you get have nothing to do with the distance you're flying. It's all about the fare you're paying. So if that's really where this is heading, then really, you know, you're not going to get much in terms of points or miles or anything if you fly on a legacy airline versus a Spirit. I know that Spirit frequently ends up at the bottom of the list in terms of customer preference and all that. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, I was booking something on them recently, and they've got a great website. I found it easy to understand. It almost looks like those books, you know, something, something for dummies. You know, I mean, it's actually the same typeface, you know, or something to that. I, you know, and we were talking before about the the, just the confusion factor and just the the, how difficult this can seem sometimes. I think airlines, if they're smart, they've got to make it really easy. And I, you know, and then when I had a problem with something on them, I called and they answered, you know, I got a customer rep on the phone right away. They were very pleasant. I mean, so I wasn't expecting it. I have to say, you know, Spirit, you know, gets a lot of flack, you know, in the press. And so I, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. But that's the other aspect of this. And that's something really hard to pin down on is customer service. You know, I mean, I, I think we all, have we all given up on that? I mean, is that a factor anymore? I mean, I think that's my when you asked earlier about whether or not I would take a budget carrier over um, a legacy carrier, and I just, customer service across the board is not great. (laughs) But 
I feel like it's better and there's more accountability with the larger airlines and I have not met someone who argues with me on that. Barbara, are you going to lean in here? <laughs> uh, I'd say it's hit or miss with most airlines. I, you know, it's hard to make generalizations. Um, I've been very surprised by some airlines that have gotten it. Same with Ryanair. I, I maybe is one of the few people who had a perfectly pleasant experience on them from start to finish. I agree that there is a perception, you know, that airlines like Delta that have been in the business for 70, 80 years, they have a culture, they have something to live up to. Maybe they've... But I've had bad experiences and good experiences, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, I have as well. I guess short answer is read the fine print, right, before you even have to deal with customer service. That's my bottom line for budget travel and the future of budget travel or the, you know, just I think we're going to have to pay more attention. Pay more attention. Yeah. To your point, like, you can either decide to spend your money elsewhere or you can kind of, like, play into it and actually play the game because it really is like it really is a game like you're trying to win the best fares and as we talked about last week sometimes that works or sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. but i guess was that two weeks ago there's so many podcasts (laughs) (laughs) okay no that's a good point and i we keep talking about ryanair for final (laughs) question Uh uh-huh ryanair is talking about going transatlantic flying europe to the u.s would you take that flight Oh, silence. Uh, <laughs> if I was traveling with a tote bag, sure. Right. Your quick tote bag trip to Copenhagen. Right. <laughs> now, they're I mean, talking about $10 fares or something, I mean, to start with. I mean, because they are that outrageous. Sure, I'll, I'll go for that. I'll I do mean. it. I mean, Ryanair, I, Ryanair is not the worst budget airline I've flown. They've right. actually gotten better. They re-added, you know, the, the carry-on bag mm-hmm. after years of right. measuring mm-hmm. your bag wherever right. you are. So, I, I would do it. I would, I'll... I'll try anything once. I think if you go in with the expectation, like if you go in with low expectations, you might be really surprised. I just think that you can't hold any of these economy classes or budget airlines to the same standard as regular full service airlines, because that's not what they are. So it's a brand new class to a degree, an expanding class that's competing with legacy carriers in a way. I think. I don't know when you say, <laughs> what are you going to bring? I think I would just pack medication, maybe. That's the only <laughs> way, I think that's the only way you get me on that flight. <laughs> the one sleeping pill out the whole yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Um, well, look, if anyone out there listening has any questions or wants to weigh in, if you have a really strong opinion about Norwegian, wow, basic economy, you know, this is still an area that we are looking into, researching constantly. We want to be on the front end of it, so please tweet at us. We are at CN Traveler, kind of all over the internet. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Our Travelog podcast airs every Friday. We are on iTunes and SoundCloud. And now I'd love to go around and just get everyone's social media handles. We can tell our readers where you can find us online. Meredith? Um, you can find me at Oh Hey There Mayor on Twitter. And I'm at KJ Lagrave, K-J-L-A-G-R-A-V-E on Twitter. So tweet me your favorite budget airline. <laughs> and I'm at Peterson B on Twitter. And I'm at Danon825 on Twitter and Laura underscore Redmond on Instagram. Thanks for listening and have a good weekend. Bye.